Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. We're here in the Old Capitol Senate Chamber tonight to talk about teaching innovation. Education's always been important to Iowans, and it's at or near the top of virtually every list of national concerns. Effective teaching plays a crucial role in the learning success of students. And our guests here tonight are going to share some of the creative and high-impact ways in which teachers here at the University of Iowa are engaging the minds of UI students, contributing to both student success and faculty professional development. This program is the first in a four-part series on teaching innovation, and our topic tonight comes as a question. With new approaches, do we get better results? Joining me for the discussion are Jean Florman, just to my left here, uh, director of the Center for Teaching. Maggie Jesse is in the middle. Hi, Maggie. Uh, she's a senior IT director at ITS Instructional Services, and Wayne Jacobson is UI assessment director. Thank you for being here, Wayne. So, Jean, uh, you wrote a nice piece for the paper the other day that began with the statement that education has always been evolving over time in this country. Um, what's new about what people are thinking about education today? Well, actually, when I started that writing that piece, I was thinking of just starting it off by saying everything new is old. Um, I think that a lot of what we do and call innovative has actually been done, especially in this country, for at least 150 years. Uh, I also think that um, when, you, when we talk about things like inquiry-guided learning, which is asking students a series of questions to sort of dig into things, you know, since Plato talked about Socrates, that's a way of teaching. What I think is innovative, especially on this campus, though, is the, is the increased capacity to support faculty members to do new things in their own classes, and also to talk about how we can innovate um, across campus and as an institution and improve um, active learning for students. Right. And so you direct the Center for Teaching. Yes. So this is your mission, right, to, to help uh, faculty um, perhaps put something into place that they, they had not done before or give them some support, bring colleagues from across campus together to uh, brainstorm? Yes. The Center for Teaching is part of the provost office. And um, it was uh, on this campus, the center started about 16 years ago. Um, and the, the mission of the center is to work uh, with others in terms of developing policy around excellence in, in teaching and learning, and also to, to present uh, support services for mm -hmm. faculty members, teaching assistants, anybody who's teaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one term that has been used a lot in recent years, and I think we'll be talking about it probably throughout the program, is the tile experience, the tile approach. Would you be able to explain what that is? Yes, and, and actually these two can join yeah. in on that. Uh -huh. too. Um, tile stands for transform, interact, learn, and engage. Uh, it started about, what, three years ago? Uh, 2009. Uh, four years ago. <laughs> um, it was, it's kind of a, an, an institution-wide effort to support transformative, engaged learning on campus. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's involved uh, designing some spaces, learning spaces, that will, will um, actively allow faculty members and students to do some new kinds of teaching and learning. Um, but it's, it's broader than just the spaces themselves and the technology. Mm -hmm. So and, and certainly yeah. Maggie's uh, shop has been very involved in that. And Wayne has been involved in assessing what's going on in those right, rooms. Right, right. Well, so you direct ITS, uh, um, this particular area at least of ITS, and um, tell us what you're doing. I mean, ITS, information technology services, that's everything from computers to uh, these tile classrooms to, to what else? To many things. Um, 
We've been involved like with Jean since 2009 on the tile classrooms. And one of the affordances of the tile classrooms is a, quite a bit of technology to help support some of the, the uh, pedagogies that happen in those spaces. As Jean will point out, we don't always need the technology for those pedagogies, but there are things that faculty can do in a more automated fashion and in an easier fashion because they have that technology in place. So we've been very active in the tile classrooms. Our group is also responsible for uh, pedagogically sound use of any technology that's in a classroom or in a teaching space on campus. Mm -hmm. So we're responsible for things like ICON, which for people outside the University of Iowa, that's mm -hmm. our course management system. Uh, and it's one single course management system for all of the students and faculty on campus and used by virtually all of them. Um, and, and any tool that fits into ICON, like wikis or collaboration tools, all of those things are things that my staff support. We also support all of the general assignment classrooms on campus and the technology within them. So that's about 250 spaces that are centrally supported for faculty across the campus. Um, and some of those now are tile classrooms. I think we have seven as of this fall. The, the newest has opened in the new learning commons. And uh, my staff was intimately involved in that project as well. If you're not familiar with that, that's the new 37,000 square foot learning commons that we partnered with UI Libraries and the Provost Office yeah. to complete. It's pretty fabulous. It's right there in the main yeah. library. It's main gorgeous. Floor. And so, um, so if I'm a student thinking about coming to the University of Iowa and I hear something about these um, interesting classrooms that are called tile classrooms, what are some of the things that would be inside that classroom? Um, all of the tile classrooms that we have at the moment um, have not, uh, round tables that hold nine students. And the idea of that is to have three sets of three teams around the table. The tables also include one laptop for every group of three students, as well as a large uh, 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 screen, a TV screen, for them to project their work up on the screen to the instructor in the room, to the, their partners at the table, or to other students in the classroom. And then ample whiteboard space for them to get up and grab a marker and really start to engage with, with each other at the whiteboard. Mm -hmm. So um, in the larger spaces, there's also a microphone so that in a discussion in the classroom, they can hear each other across the space. Um, but it's really meant to be that engagement at the table with their teams and mm -hmm. very close contact with the faculty as the faculty member moves around the room. Mm -hmm. Well, you used the phrase, phrase uh, pedagogically sound. Uh, tell us what that means. Um, we don't come, my staff are very committed to not coming into um, a, a consult or an engagement with a faculty member to say, we have a new piece of technology, you should try it. Yeah. Our approach is, what is the problem that you're trying to solve in your classroom, or what is the objective you're trying to meet? Listening, listening to carefully to the problems they're trying to solve with their students, mm -hmm. and then identifying appropriate technologies that might help them do that in a better, easier, more engaging way. Um, fitting the pedagogy that they're trying to use in that space or in that time or in that way. So um, it's, for us, it's never about we have a new gadget and you should try it. Mm -hmm. It's always about what are you trying to do and how can the technology help you, help you do that. Mm -hmm. Well, Wayne, with assessment, uh, that's obviously a very, a very, very big need at the university mm -hmm. level. You need to figure out what's working and, and has there been an improvement in the, um, the learning ability of the students and so on. What do, you, what do you look at when you try to figure out whether or not something that may be new may not be new, whether it's really working as well as it could? Well, I think we're, we're very careful to answer, try to ask the question, what is it working for? And I think we are, we are for example, um, we're always very good at assessing um, 
the final product. What was the assignment someone did? What was the answer they gave? When we start to move into some of these new, new innovative approaches, we start to look at how did they get there? So what were the, what were the problem-solving processes or the communication processes or the group process? Where in a, in a more traditional approach, that's been going on. Instructors, as Gene said, have been engaging students in all kinds of ways that were interactive and inquiry-guided. But, but we haven't always looked at that part of the process. We've looked at what they had at the end. Mm -hmm. and, and so we try to find creative ways to assess um, how is this group working together to solve problems mm -hmm. with more insight or more depth or become more independent at it, which is what we know. I mean, students want to leave as problem solvers and critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. um, employers want to hire students who have those skills. Faculty want students to have them. Um, in these approaches, we can start to, to look more at what's going on in, in the middle of the processes as well as just what, what students leave with at the end of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've talked a little bit about what's new, but maybe we should refer to what, what a, a standard classroom might have looked. I know there may not be such a thing as a standard classroom, but if you look at a, a large lecture for an incoming freshman um, a few years ago, um, or even in some classes perhaps currently, um, it, it, does it tend to be the case that there's a professor delivering information to the students, the students are expected to absorb that information and then be prepared to respond when they're you know, they're asked questions by the professor or when they have to write a term paper or whatever, kind of a, an outward delivery rather than that kind of uh, strong engagement that you're trying to get here with some of these new classrooms. Well, I would say that although the, the room, the space design, the size of the room, um, the technologies in the room, all of those things, of course, play a part in how effectively and, and in terms of uh, the kind of teaching somebody's mm -hmm. doing. But I, I, what I don't want to say and, and even uh, hint at is that a, a standard lecture can't be very um, effective, a very effective learning um, moment for students. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think sitting and listening to, to a fine lecture is, is fantastic. Um, what these new spaces and the new approaches that we're trying to encourage broaden that beyond content delivery mm -hmm. uh, so that we are in trying to encourage things like team-based learning in class, not project teams outside of class so much, but working together with the faculty member and your peers to struggle with the material in class rather than having to do it solo outside of class. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to, to um, encourage uh, instructors, not just faculty members, but teaching assistants and, and other instructors too, to drill down with students so that they get beyond the fundamental knowledge base and start thinking more like um, graduate students or more the way they will have to when they get out mm -hmm. of the world, which is, why am I answering it this way? How did I come to that conclusion or that, that final number? Um, what's my thought process? What is this theory? How can I unpack this theory and, and explain it to someone else? Um, there's one course that I think you'll hear more about in the next segment or one of the next segments where one of the assignments that they did this week or last week was to ask the students, it's a, it's a course called The Origins of Life in the Universe, they asked the students to go home over Thanksgiving and explain some difficult scientific concept to their family and then come back and write about how they did that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's trying to uh, support complicating uh, and risk-taking for both the faculty members and the students. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Well, and, and I, I mean, I, I think too. I think when I think of the contrast of a, what we think of as a traditional lecture with these more innovative pieces, is that 
it's, it's not so much the space or the room or the, um, what it appears when you walk in. It's um, when a faculty member knows that they're doing more than just giving information. Students can get information in lots of places. And what, what the faculty expertise brings is how do you think about the problem? How would you use this? How do you draw connections to this and other issues? And so that can happen in, a, in a, what looks like a very traditional lecture very profoundly. Um, and, it, and being in a group project doesn't guarantee it will happen. I mean, mm -hmm. it's much more the design. How do you, how does, how do faculty bring their expertise in thinking about the problems, reframing issues, drawing connections mm -hmm. that, that to the beginner, the student, wouldn't be obvious just by reading it in a good textbook or reading mm -hmm. it online. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be a, an important role for a faculty member, always. But in the world that we live in right now, the exponential growth of knowledge that we have right now, it's very hard anymore for one individual to have all knowledge put into their head. But what we have to, I think, strive harder to do is help them understand how to be critical thinkers, how to determine whether information is correct or not. Um, and, and that's a, a different, maybe, kind of way than what some of us learned growing up. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no way that we can grasp all the knowledge that's available now. And it's everywhere, and it isn't all correct. Right. So the faculty members are there for, for helping with that critical aspect of looking at information. I was working with a, a faculty member once assessing a robotics course, and, and he was actually kind of troubled because he had, been, he had been teaching a course, and at one point in the course, his robot broke down. And he was just embarrassed. He thought students would think he was not competent because his robot was supposed to work. And what he shared with me later was his assessment, this, the assessment he did of the course, is this, the students would say the best day of that course was the day the robot broke. Because what he did is he started thinking out loud, well, why, why wouldn't it work? This is supposed to happen when I push this button. This circus. And he started just thinking out loud through his process. And after about 20 minutes, he got the robot to work. And what the students expressed was, our robots never work. <laughs> and so we don't need to see a model of a finished robot that always works right. We need yeah. to see how an expert makes a broken robot work. Yeah. Because that's the problem we have as students. And it was very a great insight for him in thinking how he'd approached it. He thought, well, I need to give them my knowledge, it's the finished product. And what he realized is they needed to see the problem solving, the troubleshooting, the analysis that he brought into his work all the time um, in process in his lab, not just the finished results. And actually, that, that reminds me, there's a teaching assistant in physics who, that uh, he, he and another TA, I think, are teaching, actually teaching a course. And uh, he notified me a few months ago that he said, we're, we're actually designing assignments and exercises that we know will fail. We're not designing things necessarily that always work and, and students. So because they know, then the instructor knows where it's going to fail, and they can help the student get through that. And it also uh, shows the student that there's a lot in life that isn't going to work, and that uh, scientific theory or uh, social science theory or through humanities, all of those areas have to cycle. You have to come back. You work through things. They don't work. So you go back to the beginning and say, what did I do? What can I do differently? Mm -hmm. um, so that students don't think there's always an answer and there's only one way to get to the answer. Right, right. Does this change the, um, uh, clearly it changes the, the role of the professor in the sense that I would imagine there's, as you said, there's much more direct interaction. You're sort of working with the teams in a very, very uh, close basis and so on. But um, does, it, does it improve the sort of social interaction and the sense that, um, I'll say that I have been on some team-based projects in my life, going back to school and at other times. Sometimes it feels like the, there are two or three people on a team who really do the work and, you know, the project more or less gets finished because there were a couple of hard workers there. And then there are others who perhaps 
didn't get involved in it at all. How does the faculty person judge the work of any of these individual students when they're working in a team? There, there are a lot of ways of doing that. I will say that the, the benefit of doing active, engaged learning in the class, whether it's a tile class or any class, is that the faculty member is there when the struggle's going on. Mm-hmm. And that's true of whether it's in teams or the size yeah. of the team. Yeah. So that if there are problems, if there are problems within the team, uh, that can be identified, we hope, right then and, and maybe addressed later. Um, but if they're intellectual, if there's the, the intellectual struggle that's going on too, that can also uh, happen right there with the faculty member and with peers so that you learn from your peers too. Um, there are a lot of ways of, of assessing how well a team is working. Uh, but it's a lot harder, I think, to do when you say, go forth and figure out who your teammates are and do a project outside of class. Um, so. I think what it suggests, too, is that we think of making a class more inquiry-guided or interactive or problem-solving, but to realize those are learned things as well. And students who have not been on a team before or who have not done um, active problem-solving will need some mentoring in that. And, some, and so when I think people have had bad experiences, it's probably been more because, as Gina said, form a group, see what you can figure out, mm-hmm. and realize that's part of what we are teaching students, is how do you function together intellectually, creatively, collaboratively, and you know, that, it, that that's a scholarly thing to do, not simply an efficiency to put a bunch of people at the same table. Sure. But that means some mentoring. It means some um, assessment along the way and giving feedback to students that they're not perhaps doing what they need to be in the mm-hmm. group. Um, so they start to learn that you know, from the feedback they get, I can change, I can do this better, and get more from the learning experience. One thing I've appreciated with the innovations that we're working on at the moment across campus are the faculty who have agreed to step up and take some risks with us. And part of those risks have been to partner with staff to build out their learning objectives and their content modules and their, their practices within the class, but also to agree to assess what they may have done previously in comparison to what they will do after they've made a transformation to a course. And for me, I've been on this campus a long time and been involved in this for several years. This is the first time, I think, that I've really felt like we've been digging deeply into what, what is happening with these changes. Is it the right thing to do? Tweaking things as we go along. And these faculty have been really open to working with staff members. Um, you know, some of them highly educated, PhDs, masters, students from instructional design and the library sciences. Um, that's a really exciting place for us to be, to help faculty be successful doing this. So I really appreciate personally their willingness to do that. And some of the folks you have in other segments are exactly those people that are doing that with us. Yeah, yeah it's, it was hard to narrow down. I mean, there are a lot of faculty members doing a lot of amazing things on this campus. Mm-hmm. And you know, teaching and learning is fundamentally a personal relationship. Uh, and I, I think we have a lot of faculty members on this campus who, who recognize that and who really build their, the teaching part of their career around that. That's kind of the core, that they have a personal relationship uh, they're dedicated to see their students learn and learn well and learn how to learn, not just learn content. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Well, part of the, the um, idea behind the name of this uh, particular series, Teaching Innovation, is, of course, innovations in teaching. But you are also trying to encourage students to become innovative in their own, their own thinking, mm-hmm. to, to not just count on uh, their prior 12 years' experience of how, how courses work, how grades are made and all those kinds of things, but 
truly become more uh, innovative themselves. I think this idea of asking the students to explain something, I don't know, what, imagine something, the Big Bang Theory, to their family over Thanksgiving, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> it was a great really idea. great. Yeah, so what do you think the future is here? I know that the UI, uh, according to some conversations we've had, the UI is really um, doing some important work in terms of innovative uh, teaching processes, ideas, and so on. What, what do you see coming ahead? You know, one of the things that I think is happening here, uh, there's been, there has been support for um, faculty development around teaching. Uh, and one of the things that I think is starting is more of a conversation with faculty members about where do you see teaching and learning in higher ed in five years? Wh- where do you see your uh, role, and how is that going to change? Because it is going to change. Uh, I think 10 years from now, uh, college education and faculty um, roles are going to be quite different. So getting faculty involved in that conversation and then building policy and support for, for those changes, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think we do see an increasing value on saying, when we try to make something better, let us, let us get some evidence. Let us build as Maggie was saying, bring some people in to look at what it was before and see how it's changed. And I think that's, that's different than higher ed as I, when I experienced it as a student. You know, we are really saying we, we can, in our teaching, be scholarly. We can be evidence-based. We can challenge ourselves. And when we don't like what we see, we can make it better. And that's, that seems to be across the campus, a sense that we have here. Well, just one final question to you, Maggie. Uh, students these days come into a university with a wealth of experience, maybe knowledge, gathered from the internet, from social media, all kinds of ways information is shared, and as you mentioned, sometimes it's not accurate. Um, uh, is that a help to today's students? I mean, does that, obviously we can't, we can't change it, this is just the way it is, but do you think that that helps uh, uh, students adapt to new approaches in a way that, that uh, you know, is, is positive? I find them personally pretty adaptable. Yeah. Um, I also think that we overestimate how much they really understand how to be, use technology. Mm-hmm. Um, they know how to do the things that they've done with, with Twitter or texting at Facebook very, very well. But to think about going out and doing online searches and critically looking at those searches and understanding what they're seeing, they're not, mm-hmm. so, they're, they're not so adept at that. Mm-hmm. I do think they are extremely comfortable in that world. And the more comfortable we can become in that world to help guide them in the right way, the better off we'll be. Mm-hmm. They are not only comfortable, but they expect it. They come here expecting that kind of technology and things like the learning commons and, mm-hmm. and are excited to see the tile classrooms. But it's also an adjustment for them. So we can't assume that they're just going to jump in and understand how this works. Mm-hmm. So um, we're all sort of growing up in this together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, wow, thank you, Wayne Jacobson and Maggie Jesse and uh, Jean Florman. Thank you very yes. much for being with us in this uh, segment. This is the first part of a four-part series on teaching innovation on World Canvas. And um, we have uh, some more guests coming up here in just a moment. Hope you can stay with us. Um, please join us next week at the same time for a conversation on teaching innovation, focusing on big ideas courses. It'll be a lot of fun, I think. World Canvas programming is available on UITV, YouTube, iTunes, the International Programs website, and KRUI. I'm Joan Kerr for UI International Programs. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from the University of Iowa's International Programs. This is part two of a four-part series on teaching innovation. Really excited about tonight's program because we're going to be learning about an interactive and interdisciplinary approach to 
big ideas, what some may have even called big history, by focusing on an innovative team-taught and team-focused course at the UI called The Origins of the Universe. So let me introduce the people who are here with me on stage. Cornelia Lang is an associate professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy and the U at the UI, and the creator of the Origins of Life course we'll be talking about. And John Logsdon is next to Cornelia. He's an associate professor in the Department of Biology here at the UI, and is one of the professors teaching the Origins of Life uh, course alongside Cornelia and other faculty. So uh, let's just dive right in, Cornelia. I think I'll throw the first question to you. Sure. Uh, what's the main challenge in approaching you know, a huge, perhaps impossibly huge topic like the origins of the universe? Well, uh, I think one of the biggest challenges is um, trying to both cover the breadth that we want to. The course is actually a year-long course, and we involve faculty from uh, five departments. So I think the challenge is trying to cover both the breadth but also uh, the depth, because we do want to challenge students to dig a little deeper mm -hmm. um, and not just survey everything. We want to give them some skills about how to use a scientific method to answer the kinds of questions that we're interested in. So I think the challenge really is the breadth and the depth. Mm -hmm. And as I understand it, you, you had applied for some special funding to put this course together to uh, uh, sort of design it and so on. Um, tell us about that whole process. Well, there was a call about a year and a half ago for, from the provost's office for grants to improve student success on campus. And so I decided to apply um, to do two things. One, to teach one of the first true multidisciplinary courses on, on campus that was taught in an inquiry-guided way. And so I applied for funding uh, mainly to support uh, uh, TAs to help us with the course mm -hmm. because I didn't want to burden any one department as we, were, um, as we were kind of coming together as a group from lots of different departments and doing an experiment. Mm -hmm. And so the funding was primarily to, to help uh, pay for TA support, and the TAs are really a critical part of our course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Huh. Well, um, the, the whole notion of sort of the, the big idea... Um, I think it definitely applies to the origins right, of the universe right. and, and probably a few other courses. But, but um, do you find that you still, even though you're looking to, to get to that sort of deeper part of this, do you find that there's uh, still an element of the survey course in what you do? Yes. In fact, uh, one of the things, one of the ways that we describe our course is essentially um, kind of like the greatest hits oh, from yeah. a lot of the survey courses on campus. Ah. So the population that we're targeting in our Origins of Life in the Universe course is non-science students who are hoping to fulfill their general education requirements. So we really have a very specific target in mind. These are not advanced graduate students or even majors in one of our departments. These are the students who are looking for a way to get their requirements done. And what yeah. we offer them is a year-long experience, including a lab, so that at the end of it, they can check that box that says, I have taken a natural science at University of Iowa. And so mm -hmm. the job is kind of big because we want to not only teach them the content, but we also want to teach them the kinds of things that they're expected to get out of their, their only, yeah. their maybe one and only science course at the University of Iowa. And so, yeah. uh, and so they're just, you know, there's, it's a big, it's a tall order. Yeah. So you're from physics and astronomy. Right. John, you're from biology, and you've been teaching here for some time. Um, are you relatively new to this particular class? Uh, well, we all are, since this yeah. is the first <laughs> yeah. time. But yeah. um, in fact, I'm, this is the first entry-level course I've taught. It's also the first non-majors course I've taught. 
Um, and, and so, and it's also the first tile course I've taught. So yeah. I'm, I'm new yeah. in lots of regards, even though I've been here for a decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's been uh, a, a little bit, um, it's exciting, but, but also, you know, challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, there have been times when I've, you know, I've been, wow, this is, this is so different from the last decade of how I've been, been carrying on as, mm -hmm. a, as a biology professor. And it's been stimulating for sure challenging, frustrating sometimes yeah. even. But uh, I tell you what, it's, it's, been, it's been a really fantastic experience for the faculty. And I, yeah. we're, we're hoping, and, and we were talking about this earlier, is that, is that we as a faculty group have had such a good time learning from each other and developing this stuff that we're, you know, it, it's just, it, we're hoping it will just rub off mm -hmm. as, as we're presenting it to students. I think we have some evidence that it is. So, um, yeah. And so, you know, all around, it's been a great experience. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I, just to add to what John said, I mean, one of the motivations for developing this course was very selfish in that I actually wanted to learn a lot about geology, about biology, about chemistry, about anthropology, classes that I didn't get a chance to take in college. <laughs> and I wanted to also collaborate, you know, with, with other people on campus. Because you kind of, you know, you're here for 10 years and you, you have a lot of fun doing the things that you usually do and you, and you get good at them and, and they become routine, but then at some point you kind of want to change it up a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, in our earlier segment there was some discussion of inquiry-guided learning. For, for someone who didn't see that program, what do we mean by inquiry-guided learning? Um, well, I'll start, okay. and Cornelia uh, can, can add in. So we, we are not lecturing per se. Um, we are doing, uh, we actually, each day is, is an activity or a set of activities. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. those, those activities can be, you know, little experiments that they're doing. They could be observing things. A lot of time we shoot them off in, onto the Internet, um, and that was talked about in the previous uh, segment as well, that, um, you know, my line that I always tell them is Wikipedia is your friend, but not your only friend. <laughs> um, and, and it's true, they, they, they do need some help about doing that research. And I think that's one of those big transitions is that, is that there's a lot of information out there, and there's a lot of good information, there's a lot of correct information. Um, and they're aware of that. And so, so to some extent, it's not about telling them what the information is, but pointing them to where they can find the right information. Oh, yeah. And so we do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, there's a little bit of lecturing, and there's, and, and, but the, the uh, students work as groups of three and as, at the larger tables as well. So it's all, they're, they're teaching each other mm -hmm. along the way as mm -hmm. well. And we sort of, we design it, uh, we design, so we have a year, and so we've designed essentially six sort of thematic units where faculty from different departments contribute. And beyond that, we even try to um, design each day as almost like an independent module so that if we wanted to take it and use it in another course or you wanted to rearrange the um, order of things a little bit, you could. And so each day has a, an activity worksheet. Each day has a set of readings for it. Each day has learning objectives. And then each day has a lot of uh, very active components. The students are either making a list. What did we do yesterday? We made a list of uh, biofilms. So these are, oh, yeah. these are substances uh, that exist in modern times. They're very simple uh, sort of uh, uh, substances. And 
we think that they represent some of the earliest forms of life on our planet. So we had students researching things like the mat that forms in kombucha tea and the plaque on your teeth. These are both biofilms. I thought about that when I was brushing my teeth earlier. <laughs> and so we had them up at the board writing down sort of the properties of biofilms, and then we had a vote on which one was the, the grossest. Ah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. So they're, it, it, each day is very active, and the students, though, are encouraged to come prepared. Because yeah. these kinds of things, and, you, and we may hear about this later, these kinds of things don't work if the students come uh, unprepared or come expecting to listen. Mm -hmm. So the students kind of are, have to be a little bit on their game. And, and that can be a little hard for them at times, that when you tell them, like, you need to come to class and you need to be ready to participate, it can be kind of overwhelming for them. And they understand that you really mean it. I mean, there oh, yeah. might be someone who says, I want you to partic participate in class, but you're not really going to get nailed. In this, in this case, you're in very small groups and you're working directly with other students and with faculty. And you will be asked to. And at the same time, though, of course, the, the same students are in, in standard lecture courses. Yeah. And I, mm -hmm. I don't, we haven't talked about this, but I've noticed that toward, as the course has gone on, the, the amount of preparation, you know, they took us more seriously at the front edge, right, I right, think. Right. Uh, as the course has gone on, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I think they've not done as much of the preparative reading coming right. in sometimes. <laughs> you know, so, so they need to be reminded of that because, yeah. it, it, you know, in a, in a place like this, probably a majority of the courses, uh, you, do, you go to lecture and, it, you know, you know, open up your head, pour it in, and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, go back and study your textbook afterwards. That's not yeah. the model we're using no, in, any, no. in any sense. Yeah. So now, have you already been through one full year, or this is the first year? This is it? the first wow. time. So wow. we are, uh, we have done, so this fall, the themes are origin of the universe, uh, origin of life, and then origin of life on Earth. So wow. we're, you know, we're giving them the framework uh, to think about these big topics. And then basically next week we are going to get to the point on the planet Earth where we have gotten right before the Cambrian explosion where life really diversifies and, and, uh, and, and it gets very complex fairly quickly. Um, and so we are in this kind of, what do they call it, geologists call it the boring billion right now, right. these sort of billion years where uh, there are uh, a lot of bacterial forms of life, but certainly no plants yeah. and animals as we know them now, or even prehistoric uh, plants and animals. And yeah. so uh, we will get essentially to the Cambrian uh, uh, period uh, by winter break, and then when we start again in, in the spring, we will, uh, we will go uh, up from the Cambrian into the more modern times, and then we'll start talking about, uh, so we'll talk about all the diversity of life, and that's when a lot of the biological evolution will come in, and then we will talk about human origins, and then we'll talk about uh, the rise of intelligence in humans, and then we'll turn it back around and say, okay, now that we have evolved intelligent life on our planet, can we look for similar forms of life out there in the universe? And so we'll come back to astronomy at the very end and then talk about kind of implications for the future. So we're hoping yeah. the students hang in there. Um, so we're, we've done about the first 16 billion years mm. uh, this semester. <laughs> right, right. And next semester is actually only a half a billion years. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Next semester, um, we're trying to get that across so, to the students. Uh, but... So yeah, we've covered a lot of ground, I we think. We have covered yeah. a lot of ground. Yeah. So um, there was earlier mention of, of uh, this, this little uh, proposal that you gave your students before right. they went home for Thanksgiving break. Right. Think of something that you've learned in this class that you can uh, you know, interpret for your family, help them understand what you've been learning. Right. How did that go? What did the students say? I think it went really well. Um, we're just as still in the process of grading the assignment. So basically, it was a, a multi-part assignment. And, and this is what's fun about this course is 
Um, we have lots of different people um, helping to design the curriculum. We're very involved in uh, planning each, each day, and we have a lot of interesting readings. So the students have been asked to do a lot of different things. So we give them a lot of credit for, for hanging in there. And so this was the second part of an assignment where in the first part they had to identify three surprising things that they had learned in this course or three interesting things that they did not know before. And they had to prepare those, and then they submitted those uh, to be looked at for a writing assignment. Um, and then they had to choose one of those and then think about a way that they could model it for their family. And yeah. so we had uh, all sorts of examples ranging from, you know, the, the thickness of the crust on the earth compared to how, uh, how, um, uh, how deep the earth is, is likened to... Uh, the skin on an apple compared to the entire radius of an apple. And then they had to ask their family if, the, if their family members knew that and, uh, and then report back to us. So they've, I think Very the assignment fun. went well. Um, most the, of the, they all did it, and so mm -hmm. they had to have prepared ahead of time, and then they had to have done this over Thanksgiving. So, so I'll point out that that activity, and, and uh, one of many sort of things that we've done was actually, you know, all of these things we've come, we've come up with together in a collaborative group of faculty and these TAs. Right. And this was actually one of the uh, graduate student TAs that came up with this particular this idea. idea. So yeah, yeah. so, um, so I, that's been another wonderful thing about the course is just the collegiality. And, and they're all in different disciplines. So he's, mm -hmm. in, a, he's um, in physics and astronomy, and, and there's a biology TA, and there's a chem chemistry TA. And next semester, we'll have a geology and a, an anthropology, and anthropology mm -hmm. TA. So, so those those. Uh, levels of, of interaction, and they're sort of closer to the students to some extent, yeah. so that we have these sort of interesting uh, social dynamics in the in the course, and we're all in the same room. It's a relatively small room, 70, mm -hmm. is it 71, 81 students? 81 students, students yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, that's been a wonderful part, and so there's there, there are all these sort of yeah. kind of conversations that can happen and different ideas, and we all help each other to understand our own disciplines better yeah. and other people's disciplines for sure. Yeah, we talk about every single day, regardless of if John's leading or I'm leading or Andrew or David, or even sometimes one of the, one of the TAs who just finished her PhD in chemistry actually is filling in for, we, couldn't, we didn't find a chemistry faculty member um, who had the ability to participate in the course, and so mm -hmm. she's been able to rise to the occasion and actually lead the chemistry Days, but I mean, so th th there's a group of us, and we plan each day, and we all contribute with ideas and suggestions. And that's very different than the model of there's there are multidisciplinary courses on campus. I mean, the medical school is a fantastic example of bringing in different expertise when needed. But the the traditional model for multidisciplinary courses is okay. You have weeks two through four, and when you're done, you hand me the baton, and I'll mm -hmm. take weeks you know four through five, and and things like that. And this is a very different. It, it requires more time. Um, a lot more time and, and better communication, but it's really very fun, and that way I've been able to learn a lot more about my colleagues' fields and, uh, and get really interested in, in some of the stuff yeah. we're teaching. So yeah. there's very much a TA component, a faculty component, and a student component to this whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've got a, a student who may not be thinking at all of majoring in anything scientific. Uh, and they're kind of taking this course because they, they have to. It's one course that goes for the whole year that might be easier. You know, you right. might imagine ways in which a student would figure out which course they want to take for their, uh, to satisfy their um, general education requirement. Um, are you finding that there are students in this course who never thought about going into anything scientific who've told you, you know, I think I want to study 
biology, right? You know, are, are you having that kind of transition? I've I've had I've had three students approach me um, about uh, studying uh, astronomy, and not not just astronomy, but also um, one one of them was also interested in kind of planetary astronomy, and mm -hmm. so. In particular, this woman came in, and she has a background in math, and so she's actually in a good position to transition into our major. And so we talked quite seriously about it. In the end, she decided uh, that she was going to stick with, uh, with her major. Mm -hmm. But I've had a number of students ask me about that. And I think the fact that you know, the students come to class, they come prepared, they ask us questions. Many of them have signed up for the second part. There's no, sort of no way to require them to take the second half. And that oh, itself is an experiment. You know. We, there are very few year-long courses on campus, yeah. and I even talked to the registrar about trying to automatically enroll the students <laughs> in the spring, which I think would be a good idea. And actually, yeah. from the student's perspective, to know that you're taking that class in the spring kind of eases the burden right. of having to choose. And mm -hmm. so, um, But I think based on the fact that students are readily signing up for the spring means that they, they are curious about it. And a number of students have said that this is one of the, the most favorite ways that they have experienced to learn about mm -hmm. science. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we won't know for a number of years yeah. um, whether um, this will fuel that. I mean, um, I, I think it'll be a great outcome if a few of these students say, the, the way things are set up here at University of Iowa, um, there's a timeline, and, and, and you know, once your year's over, it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to switch, say, from a humanities major mm -hmm. to a science major. Um, it's not impossible, of course, mm -hmm. and I think this is the kind of experience that if that's what people want to do, they'll be encouraged to do it. Yeah, this um, is where it's going to happen. And so we, it's not really a criterion, but right. I think we're all kind of looking forward to maybe seeing those students, one, one or a few of those students in our upper-level courses at some point. Sure. We'll just have to wait a few years and see if that works mm -hmm. or not. Um, yeah. But it's okay either way because mm -hmm. then they're science literate um, um, community members and, and, yeah. and, and parents, et cetera, which is actually a major goal of what we're trying sure. to do. Well, and the, and the neat thing, um, the neat thing too, is that we, since going back to what I said earlier, since we are kind of sampling the highlights from a lot of survey courses, you were asking about how to deal with the survey nature yeah. of the course. Since we're kind of highlighting uh, the greatest hits, then that means that these students, if they get real curious about, uh, say, evolution, there's a whole course on evolution that mm. we offer. If they get really curious about how stars work. There's a whole course on that, or human origins. And so what we don't want to do, and we've had to make this case to the, educa uh, the Educational Policy Committee in the College of Arts and Sciences, we've had to make this case that this course is not meant to replace courses that already exist. Mm. We're not trying to, to stomp on other people's turf, because there's a lot of excellent faculty who have developed semester-long courses just on fossils from the Cambrian to you know, modern, mm -hmm. modern, uh, the modern record or things like that. And so we definitely are hoping that students might take this course and then want to take another course in geoscience just for the heck of it, not yeah. because they have to. Some and of those I, courses are even taught by some of the people that, yeah, that are in our uh, course, which is nice, yeah, right? Yeah. So if they, and then if they like the topic and they like the faculty member, yeah. then That's they can right. take it's another course. Situation. Yeah. And, right. then, you know, and then we're also, can, the neat thing is that you know, the five of us have expertise in different areas, but then because of the, partly because of the format and the inquiry-guided uh, experience in the room, we can invite people to come in and do a 15 or 20 minute presentation or bring in a collection of meteorites or, you know, next semester we have, uh, we have our, um, our colleague in uh, Earth and Environmental Sciences, Chris Brochu, who works a lot on dinosaurs and ancient crocodilians, and he's going to definitely be invited to do a couple of the lectures where we talk about the transition from uh, water onto the land, and I'm sure he'll, yeah. well, he might be willing to bring in some of his specimens, we'll see. But anyway, so that's the kind of thing we get to do in the room. The, the tile room and the inquiry-guided format allows us 
to play a little bit more in the classroom with some of these mm -hmm. things. And, and again, the expectation that the students are prepared really frees you up in class yeah. to help them struggle or to show them things that they might not otherwise see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As, as a way of emphasizing the, the, the novel and innovative nature, I was going to point out that we looked around for a, a textbook for them to oh, read yeah, that would right. cover all the things and we fit, completely failed. We have, we have one that works in some areas and not others. So this just tells you yeah. that, that this, is, this is on the edge of, yeah. of, of, of combination of, of ways of, of looking at things and, and, um, and the sum of the content that we're trying to, mm -hmm. trying to put together. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, it's clear to me that the two of you are really sort of invigorated by the whole process. Is there anything that's the kind of that, that you feel you need to tweak next time around? Have you have you come across some sort of disappointments either in the way you create your your presentations and your daily activities, or the way students respond to certain things? Have you yet yet had any of that kind of? Um, can I can I talk since I gave the talk. last I gave the last activity on yesterday, and, right, right. and and I had kind of modified something that I'd taught uh, in a couple of different contexts and. And I think I, just, I think I just put too much content in. In a, ah. in a little 20-minute mini-lecture, one of the students yeah. raised up her hand and said something like, you know, or, you know, I think we should all have PhDs now after we've learned all that. Right? So, <laughs> so I, you know, it, it's, it's humbling, right? Yeah, you know, at some yeah. level, you've got to kind of dial it back and figure yeah. out how to hit those high points. Yeah. So. Yeah. But no, and I, you know, I will emphasize again, this, year, this whole year is an experiment. And I think for every, I mean, that's why we're also so glad that we have so many hands on deck who have worked together to create each day but also then every one of us can give our opinions. And we actually have, there's a whole ITS component that we haven't had a chance to talk about, but we actually have a, a faculty development wiki for the course oh. that ITS set up for us. And so we have the ability after each class or when we go back and have time to put comments in electronically. All of us can contribute to this. That's how we designed the whole curriculum. And so that's a very flexible thing. So the TAs actually have been assigned by the head TA for assessment. We have a TA just for assessment. And um, that person has assigned the other TAs to go in and put in comments after each period about what they thought worked and what yeah. didn't. And we yeah. will definitely yeah. be making tweaks. Um, so. Mm. Well, uh, we talked a little bit about um, team-based learning in an earlier segment and the fact that it you know, can be um, intimidating for, for some right. students. Uh, some students are just shyer. They'd prefer to just kind of do their work by themselves. Um, uh, and we have a large international student component on campus as well with different kinds of cultural background and so on. Are, uh, are you finding that in a very short period of time, the direct interaction there does create what appear to be friendships between the students and uh, just a better s social aspect to the classroom setting than you might have in a, in a 50 minute period where everybody comes in, plunks right. down their backpack, takes notes. Abs and absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean the, a lot of the students are reticent to do that at the beginning and, and you see the ones that weren't talking very much talking to each other. So I think there are some real mm -hmm. friendships and, and collegiality that mm -hmm. goes on. And there's some, um, there's some loyalties to their tables. Because yeah. sometimes they do a little yeah. competition around the room, yeah. or table one versus table five. And they, <laughs> they get pretty uh, loyal. They've been, in their, they've, uh, they've been in their table and team groups all semester, although we've rotated them around the room. So. Great, great. Wow. Well, John Logsdon and Cornelia Lang, thank you so much for talking with us about this. It's really exciting, and, and it looks like there's a good future. Will you have funding for the TAs going on into yep, the future? Yeah, we, uh, we have some funding down the road. Everyone seems to be um, very excited about this, and we're working hard on the assessment part so yeah. that we can report back. And the other very exciting development is the, the provost office has decided also to fund a social science oh, constellation great. course modeled great. on what we've created. And then down the road, we're hoping that a humanities course would be designed in a similar way.
So I, you know, I'm I'm really hoping that this might this might slowly start to grow on campus mm. as a, as a way of teaching undergraduates. So. Yeah, terrific. Very exciting. Well, so thanks for joining us this afternoon. Um, you've been listening to the second part in a four-part series on teaching innovation. And our guests were Cornelia Lang and John Logiston from the University of Iowa. Uh, join us next week when we'll be discussing teaching innovation by looking at the contexts in which learning takes place. Um, World Campus Programming is available on UITV, on YouTube, iTunes, KRUI, and the International Programs website, which is international.uiowa.edu. I'm Joan Kerr for International Programs. Thanks for being here, and see you next time. Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr. We're talking about teaching innovation in this series, and our guests in this third segment will describe how the context in which uh, classes are taught and learning takes place can exponentially expand the educational experience. With me here on stage are Allison Bianchi, Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology. Thanks for being here, Allison. Thank you. Uh-huh. And next to her is Sarah Vigmostad, Assistant Professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering. Yeah, thanks for coming. And at the end, we have Frank Durham, who is a professor, Associate Professor in the School of Journalism and Mass Communication. Thanks, Frank. You're welcome. Yeah. So um, we've sort of broken this out into different kinds of, of discussions. I, I think with you, Allison, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the tile classrooms, which we've talked about here, tile standing for transform, interact, learn, and engage. Um, we've been talking a lot about... Um, science classes, and that, that sort of thing. Well, you're in sociology, a somewhat different discipline. And um, I wonder if I could get you to tell me a little bit how, um, how you're addressing the themes that you teach in sociology in, in new ways. Um, well, I was actually introduced to Tile as, um, which was, it was talked about in the first segment, as a problem solving for my classroom. Um, I teach the undergraduate research methods class. This is the class that students love to hate. It's boring. Um, it's, it, it, once it's done in a lecture format. The students don't get as much as they should out of it. Um, and typically in these classes, they write one proposal um, where they learn, well, really one research method. They don't learn all of the methods um, in depth. And so, quite frankly, too, um, Joan, I was bored <laughs> teaching it. <laughs> you know, um, I had taught this class for 10 years, and I enjoyed it, but it just it got kind of stiff. Mm -hmm. So um, I approached the Tile uh, uh, classroom people and the inquiry-based um, um, uh, classroom trainers and asked them how I could kind of pep it up. And so I learned how to create modules for each of the research methods that we teach, and the students um, were able to, are able to learn each of these methods in depth, as well as really learning how to craft a research question with using their creativity, but also kind of some structure um, appropriate for each of the different methodologies. Mm -hmm. um, and they love it. The students have done very, very well. I, I have some data from, we're very data driven <laughs> as sociologists. Um, I have data from when I taught the class um, in a lecture format and, um, and now with this new team-based, inquiry-based um, uh, methodologies and their grades have gone up, so that's something that the students, right. of course, like to hear. Yeah. Um, and also, too, um, I think they've really learned how to work together well. Um, I have to also say, Joan, I'm, I'm a social psychologist by training. I study groups, and I'm very—I was very skeptical about team-based learning because 
Um, typically what professors have done in the past is just kind of thrown students together and expected, ta-da, it's all going to work and groups are going to get along and be productive and everyone's going to pull their weight, yeah. right? This, yeah. is what, this is the big thing that students don't like about groups. I'm going to do all the work and such and such isn't going to do the work and that's how a lot of these mm-hmm. study groups have been structured. But if you use some of the techniques that I've learned as a group processes um, uh, uh, a researcher um, in these groups, you can actually get students to learn how to be more empowered in groups, um, learn how to initiate their learning more. And actually, the, the ones, the quieter ones, the more introverted ones become leaders over time. It's really transformative to watch them um, do it. So I've had a tremendous experience with team based. I can't believe I was a skeptic before. I'm a groups person. What was I thinking? <laughs> um, of course it's going to work. Um, but, it, but it took me a couple of iterations in the class to really to find out what worked, what didn't work, um, and to work with the student population as they come in. Um, um, the skills that they have, both the intellectual skills and the social skills that are required in a team kind of learning environment. Um, it took me a while, but I've on my fourth iteration of teaching, and I think it's going pretty well. Wow. Tell me again what age these students are. Yeah, so I get them at the junior level, mm-hmm. um, their third year um, in, in school. And so, yeah, they've already been really, um, they're, they're, they're cynics when it comes to groups coming into the yeah. class. And so I have to really break that down. The first thing I do the very first day is have them go to whiteboards and give me the pros and cons of group um, interaction. Mm-hmm. And we address... You know, we address these and help structure. They, in other words, they structure their own groups according to the way that they want to see them structured, mm-hmm. which is the beginning of really understanding how groups work and how to get them work for you as, yeah. as a team member. And that's a skill. That's they don't know that coming mm-hmm. in, right? Mm-hmm. It's it, or or the the notion of planning before you jump in and do a, a module. Like you actually should sit down and plan out some steps before. You, you, you know, jump in and do them and kind of make mistakes along the way. These are techniques that seem self-evident, I think, to adults. But for students just learning this, they're not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. And it's more like the workplace the students will be entering someday. I'm hoping. That's, that's mm-hmm. my goal. So you never have to be a researcher again after you take my course. I know. <laughs> I know. I want them to all be. But you don't have to be. More importantly, they learn to think critically and also how to work well in groups and mm-hmm. to be group leaders in a way that empowers everyone in the group. Hmm. Well, well, let's learn a little. Thank you very much, Allison. Well, let's learn something about what you're doing in, in some of your distance learning uh, work because I understand that you taught an online course. Was it statistics? Statics. 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 Yes. Statics. So tell us what that course mm-hmm. could be taught like and then... What you did this summer? Yeah, so um, statics is is a course that all sophomore engineering students uh, are required to take, and it's a very fundamental course in terms of the basis of a lot of courses that they they will take later on in their in their studies. And traditionally, you know, and when I taught it, the first few times that I taught the course. It was me standing in a lecture in front of 140 people and solving problems for them or explaining concepts to them. And, you know, if, if I were sitting there, I can't say that I would be <laughs> any more engaged than they were. Um, and, and it just wasn't very satisfying because I just didn't feel like I was getting to know the students and it was this drain of my energy. And, um, and so I took this other approach of flipping the class where where student, I recorded podcasts of these concepts, these 10-minute concepts that I used to start off my class with. 
um, explaining uh, something like friction. And then from there, uh, I used to, in my lecture, would, would solve a problem, solve another problem, ask, ask a few questions here and there. Um, and I took all of that out of the classroom. So now students watch, watch me solve a problem on a podcast, on a video, before coming to class. And so in this online class, they would log in, um, having already watched these videos, taken a quiz to assess their preparedness or, or ensure that they're coming to class prepared. And then in class, in this online setting, um, we would talk as a group a little bit about any misunderstandings, go over the quiz, and then I broke students off into what we call breakout rooms, and they had virtual whiteboards working in groups of three, and they would work online um, as that group solving problems similar to the one that I had done as an example. And so it, I, I was able to watch you know, on my computer screen, logged in sometimes in London or in Oregon at a conference or mm -hmm. somewhere, I could be logged in um, while these groups are simultaneously in these different virtual rooms solving problems on their whiteboards and uh, work through issues with them and help explain things. Yeah. Well, in some communication we had before the program, you said that one of the things that's really nice about this is that you're not waiting until a midterm or until the end of the semester right. to discover that a very key concept that you hoped the students had grabbed early on really had not been taken in by the students. So we're in this, in this setting, you can dig in a little bit and, and make sure that if there's right. any misunderstanding, you can get it straightened out. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, I, when I first did this flipped um, sort of con flipped concept in the in, with my statics class, the first day I just left really feeling confident that that I was going in the right direction because I was getting all the right questions. They were asking me all of those questions that I knew they had, and that they used to wait till right before the first midterm to ask. Now I was getting those on that first day, and and they were such. Simple but really fundamental questions, you know, and, and and it was such an easy tweak if you could identify what that problem was. But if mm -hmm. they didn't, if they couldn't identify it, or if we couldn't identify it together, they could go for weeks and weeks just really struggling through the material until mm -hmm. that 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 sort of aha moment occurred. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. oftentimes by then it's just too late, and you just play catch up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Frank, you teach in journalism and mass communications. Mm -hmm. I think you have some pretty large lectures. Um, My class is as large as 300. Yeah, yeah. So how do you take that on in any more uh, personally engaged way than just delivering a lecture? And, uh, well, I mean, at a, uh, teaching is personal, even in, in a large semi-lit auditorium. And I often start the class by telling the students that uh, we're going to do better than that. Uh, that, that I, I, I want to give them lots of ways to get in touch with me, to get in touch with their TAs, you know, leaving me notes at the end of class, emailing me, uh, coming to office hours. I beg them to come to office hours. Uh, their TA's office hours, we run a kind of HMO approach where if your TA is not available, someone else's office hours are available. So I really try to, to break it down. But the, the discussion sections, which typically happen on Fridays, are where they're in smaller groups, where they interact with an instructor, typically... Um, a, a teaching assistant. This semester, as I've been developing a, a tile-based curriculum on, on a wiki 
for um, the, the, the course to use altogether. Next semester, I've been teaching one of the discussion sections, and I, I kind of wish I'd done that years ago, because I, it takes me out of the administrative teacher role and puts me face to face with students who are taking the work really quite seriously, and they're doing a, a lot of good things with it. Um, one of the things that I think all of us share as teachers is that we're passionate about the subject matter we're teaching, but I think we're really interested in the way we think about it. And when the students become fluent conceptually, or they become fluent in those ways of thinking, we've created peers. And so when somebody adopts something that's so personal to one of us, it, it's, the world is a better place. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think that's what makes us try to, to reach students where they are. Mm -hmm. um, so that takes us back to some pretty instrumental things. Uh, I used to teach the course based on a fairly basic history of, of American journalism text with a, a packet of journal articles. And I quickly found that the, the students weren't real keen on reading the journal articles. So one of my former TAs, who's now a, a colleague on the faculty and I, have written an e-text, and we've, we've developed a, a more readable and, and a, we hope, accessible version of the same material for the students on a web-based platform. Um, and so uh, that's a component of the, of the tile classroom that we're, we're able to use as well. Yeah. Um, so, so we've got some different disciplines here and different students attracted to different sorts of disciplines. Um, when we're talking about journalism, what are, what are the uh, sort of primary challenges you face when trying to, um, uh, trying to cover both breadth and depth? Well, I think one of the, the challenges is, is dealing with hot topics. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, it's, it's not so much that, that um, the history of, of, of American journalism itself is contentious, but the, the episodes of history that we study involve conflict. And so uh, get, teaching students to approach uh, historical cases with concepts is, is I, I tell them we're going to use tongs, that, that they're uh, particularly in contemporary circumstances, like the, the unit we just taught, I just taught on the Vietnam War, on uh, revisionism from the right, and explanations of how we could have won the war versus the student movement and the protest movement uh, that was against the war, and giving the students ways to understand and even empathize with the, the belief systems that were at play on the left and the right mm -hmm. without having to feel like their values are challenged. And mm -hmm. I, I, could, I tell them, you come into the room as yourselves, you leave the room as yourselves, but we, we're going to be scholars about dealing with some of the contentious issues. And so learning how to think about conflict is a good way to, to um, build critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. And I can see them kind of physically relax. They, they, they get it. They do it, and it's, uh, it, it becomes kind of fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned that yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I, was, I think that one of the things that we um, maybe aren't able to quantify so much yet in terms of the outcomes of some of these newer teaching approaches or, um, is just really the, the soft skills that students are acquiring and their ability to communicate their ideas and convince their their group members that that they're right about an idea or you know learn to ask questions in a way that um, they're going to get the right types of answers or they're going to get to that next step but also this idea of problem solving or being 
asked a question and not panicking when you don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that, especially with us in the classroom with them, when they have that moment of, oh my goodness, did, was there something I didn't read? Did I, yeah. did, am I not, did yeah. I not get prepared for this properly? Um, but that's what they're gonna face their entire life. Mm -hmm. I, we always tell our engineering students that you're not being hired because of what you know, but you're being hired because of what you can learn and, and your ability to problem mm -hmm. solve. And, and, and so giving them that experience early on in a safe setting or a, a setting where there's less risk and they, they know that, well, okay, when I don't know the answer and I don't even have an idea about how to approach this, I just need to think a little bit more about it and we can talk together and I just need to think about how this is maybe similar to something else mm -hmm. I've looked at mm -hmm. rather than thinking, I, I must not be prepared, I don't know how to do this, this isn't for me or something like that. So. Yeah, so it's not about shaming the person who mm -hmm. seems not to know the answer right off the bat, but about helping that person and the other students in the class who haven't identified themselves yet, who also don't get it, who will need to. Sure, and I, I, mean, I mean, I intentionally designed some of the more challenging questions that we will come across at certain points so that nobody is going to come to class knowing the answer, mm -hmm. but they have all of the skills necessary, they just need to um, sort of work through things, and, and I'll give them little hints or, you know, bring them one step closer, but just sometimes it's the exam where they have that first panic moment of, oh my goodness, this doesn't look anything like what I remember doing, but mm -hmm. really becoming comfortable with feeling that and knowing that they can get to the answer. Mm -hmm. I, I lecture, and we've talked about lecturing, but I try, to, I try to position it in a sequence of contacts with the information. So in a typical week in, in, in my large class, the students do, they read the assignment and the text typically, sometimes a journal article, but less and less. They write analyses of, of the questions and the text, the news texts that are in the textbook online. They come to class with the written homework, and then we give them problems to solve in a workshop environment in the tile classroom to apply the concepts that they've practiced in their homework in a way that demonstrates to them that they are achieving the mastery of the concepts that they will need to hear and lecture the next week and then to uh, apply on an exam. And so there are lots of different contact points. And uh, I even talk to them about how they're taking notes in class. We collect their notes and, and offer them some feedback on what to do for 50 minutes while someone's at the front of the room talking, <laughs> uh, which is a real question. I certainly didn't know that when I was a mm -hmm. freshman uh, 30 years ago. Um, but I, so the lecture becomes a moment, and it's not the only time you get the answer waved in front of you. And uh, I think that that's one way to get them to relax and see this whole week as a sequence. Yeah. It sounds to me as so though this is really a good deal more taxing for many faculty than delivering the lecture you may have given for many years uh, that you're proud of, that you think the work is good, and so on and so forth. But this is kind of this is a lot of work for you too as faculty, isn't it? It is. I, I think that my the first foray into team-based inquiry-based learning, I it took me three times as long to prepare the course than it would take for a lecture course. Mm -hmm. And this has been this is a course again, like I said, that I've been teaching for a long time. Um, so 
So you can look at that as not so good, or you, you can look at it also as an opportunity for you to learn mm-hmm. um, better, way, um, better, more innovative, and more up-to-date um, pedagogical techniques. And mm-hmm. so I kind of approach it as I'm also a lifelong learner, just like mm-hmm. my students, and so I owe it to them to um, continue my uh, instruction and to learn to become a better professor over time. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time trying to be transparent with them. And uh, if, if you don't have some humility in front of 300 people, it's going to be a very long time. <laughs> uh, so so the, the, the three words, I was wrong, and this is what I was thinking. You know, right. Let me explain. Right. And well, I'll, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we don't know I, everything. You know, there, there was, there was a, for example, there was a time when I put something on the board, and then they started sort of chattering and talking to each other, and something was really quite wrong. And, and, and I said, okay, I don't do anything until you tell me what's wrong. And I'd put the wrong date for the final on the board, which really mattered. Yeah. But they didn't think they could tell me. So I yeah. said, I can fix that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so uh, are there other uh, courses that you're intending to use this with beyond the one that you're currently involved in? Um, I think I would really like to teach our statistics course in um, the tile classroom, because that really, again, is, is kind of like a project-based course mm-hmm. where you get your hands on data and have um, groups work with them. Because I think for the same reasons that Sarah um, that uses the techniques that she does, you kind of have to learn early on where the bad habits are and where the mistakes are being made. Because a course like statistics builds and builds and builds mm-hmm. on harder and harder um, um, concepts. So I, I definitely thought about that. But then I also thought about the possibility of teaching a more sociological substantive course, not just a methods course, but something like social psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, how would I, how would I um, go about doing that in a team-based um, environment? Um, I think that's going to be more challenging than the more project-based things that I do yeah. now, but I'm thinking about that in the future. Yeah. Is that the way you see it, too? Yeah, I, I definitely... I've even though you know, I've only done the statics course online or, or in a tile classroom, um, I've really tried to use the same ideas regardless of the classroom setting that, I, that I'm in. And I just, having experienced sort of the energy and fulfillment and satisfaction of you know, being with the students as they're, they're learning and they're understanding um, the material, I just haven't been able to go back to yeah. <laughs> standing and just chattering for mm-hmm. that lo- for s- such a long time, and so I've just really tried to bring some of those same ideas of of inquiry based learning, asking questions, mm-hmm. challenging them to to come up with the answers rather than just mm-hmm. conveying information to them. Although lectures, I have to stand up for them. I know yeah. I'm the group's person. <laughs> no, 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 no. A good lecture is still a darn good way yeah. to learn, yeah. Sure. Yeah. and there's an art to that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I guess I have to put in a word for the, for the team that works with me now. And I, I think in another segment somebody mentioned this, but uh, Hai-Jin Lee is the, is the recent uh, doctoral graduate from our mass communication program who's helped me develop the wiki curriculum for the sections. And she's superior. She's so bright and she's so helpful. And we've done this in terms of risk-taking, we've done this as a high-wire act, finishing off in the hour before class, 14 <laughs> weeks in a row, and then yeah. teaching it. And so I'm looking forward to the next... You really are journalists. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, and, and, and we have, we're 14 and 0. I mean, it's, yeah. we're, it's going... It's and now we're revised, and, yeah. and each will get our second chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jane Russell of ITS has, has helped us with 
the assessment doing uh, uh, an, uh, an IRB-approved project, we hope, uh, to compare the teaching method in a traditional classroom to the tile classroom and to try to assess the differences. And so uh, I've often had two, three, or four people in the lecture hall m monitoring aspects of what's going on as we figure out what we're doing with this teaching. And that's really quite different from being uh, alone in the project. And I, yeah. I, I owe them so much, and it's been a, a good experience. But it's, it's caused me to rethink uh, my role in things. And it's, I'm more collaborative than I thought I might have been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Any last thoughts from anyone? Uh, if not, I just want to say thank you so much to Alison Bianchi, Sarah Vigmastad, and Frank Durham. This has been really fun, and good luck with all these courses you're, you're developing and working on. It, it sounds great. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, you've been listening to the third installment of a four-part series of World Canvas, and uh, as you know, we are talking about teaching innovation on this program. Uh, please join us next week when we're going to be talking about some of the tools, uh, technological tools that are making a difference in learning environments these days. All World Canvas programming is available on UITV, YouTube, YouTube, iTunes, KRUI, and the International Programs website. I'm Joan Kerr, and for UI International Programs, thank you very much for listening. Good night. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr, and we're in the Senate Chamber of the Old Capitol Museum on the campus of the University of Iowa. Good to have you with us. This is the final program in our four-part series on teaching innovation, and tonight we're talking about teaching with technology. Technology is nothing new, of course, and the existence of 21st century technological aids doesn't automatically make teaching or learning any better. You have to know how to employ them in relevant and instructive ways. Well, we have two UI faculty members here in our final segment of the series to tell us how they're using new technologies uh, in their teaching. David McGraw is just to my left. He's a lecturer in the Division of Performing Arts. Nice to have you here, David. Hello, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And next name is George de la Pena, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Dance here at the University. Hi, George. Thank Hi, you for John. coming. So I'll turn to, first to you, David. Uh, I know that you teach many topics, but among them, directing. And you have some uh, tools that you've developed to help students understand some of the complexities in, in uh, stage management, direction, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah. So uh, I'm the head of the stage management program, the graduate program. And one part of what a stage manager does is essentially working as air traffic controller for everything <laughs> that happens in a live performance. Mm. So whether it's in theater or opera or dance or the Super Bowl halftime show, there's a stage manager who's coordinating with 10, 20 different technicians. Uh, otherwise, you might see it as a conductor with all the mm -hmm. technical elements. Mm -hmm. But this can be very hard to train students. Uh, the high stress of putting them in front of 12 different people who are waiting for their next order uh, and we've tried it different ways. We've tried it simply modeling best behavior in the classroom. I would call out a sequence, and it has some value. And we've tried using video, where they'd watch a show, and they would practice calling all of the cues and using different communication systems. And there's some value in that, but oftentimes the student could learn the wrong way or kind of develop a bad habit because they don't receive any feedback. Mm -hmm. And so what we've developed is a simulator. Uh, the simulator, we were inspired by Guitar Hero or Rock Band or any of the <laughs> video games that let you kind of sing along that karaoke style. And we were inspired by air traffic control simulators. Uh, we took the two ideas, we put them together so that now our students on their own laptop at home in their dorm room at the library can watch videos taken from the vantage point of the stage manager, which might be multiple video screens. And then we use voice recognition software that allows them to call out the cues 
and within a quarter second accuracy, we can say whether that key was early or late, it was garbled in the communication. Uh, what they don't know when they start up is that we also have included errors, so that if a performer misses an entrance, if a light suddenly goes down, and then they have to troubleshoot on the spot. Uh, and that way they get their instantaneous feedback. The screen actually kind of changes color, uh, almost like a scoring system, uh, and they get to have that immediate assessment of their work, and then they become much more confident so that when they are in the live situation, they know that they can do the job and they can react more to the environment at the time. Wow. So why did she set this all up? How long have you been working on this? Uh, this has been in progress uh, almost five years. I'm very grateful. Uh, we received an Innovations in Teaching with Technology Award from the university. Uh, I was also very fortunate in that some of the programmers for Guitar Hero are based in Iowa. Uh, and also that we were able to team up with an engineering class that really studied how the user interface would work. So the student logs into the program, and it's a replica of a, the booth that a stage manager would occupy, and then all the programming controls and the voice recognition we've been able to test to see the most useful. And in some ways, we're learning how better to set up the actual real-life booths based on what we've been able to gain from the student input. So there may be ways that, that you, you can just create a better working environment based on some we, of the things that you're We actually hope that we'll be doing work ah, for our field, the yeah. live field. Wow, yeah, that's great. And you mentioned a couple of other things that you use, uh, little technological aids. Uh, one, is a, one is the smart pen, smart pen yes. note-taking process, which I think is really cool. Right, and I would recommend this to everyone, and whether or not you're a student, uh, that there are a number of these new smart pens. LiveScribe is one of the brands that produces them. And the concept behind it is pretty simple, that there is a, a regular pen, but the camera is next to the tip, and there's a microphone at the top. And so that while you're taking notes, you're also getting the audio recorded, and it stretches along a timeline so that as you write a word, you'd be able to see, hear what's being said at that time. Uh, and a lot of people use it for regular uh, production meetings or any sort of staff meetings. What I do in my class is that for one of my advanced courses, um, no one's prohibited from taking notes. Some people, really, that's the best way to process information. But what I've found is that for a lot of people, they think that is the first step or that's all they should be doing. And so I have a lot of students who are writing out notes instead of processing the information or engaging in the discussion. Uh, and so we rotate. One student per class is taking the notes for the entire group. Then we simply load that onto the Internet. Any student then can get the notes for that day, can hear all the audio that happened in the room. So our notes look more like outlines, mm -hmm. and the students can drill down and find that information mm -hmm. when they want to review it. But it lets them kind of step away and, and be more active, and we can go in greater depth because no one else has to write out the dates yeah. that we're currently discussing or, or the yeah. formula. Boy, that's terrific. Wow. Well, so George, tell me what, what you use in the way of new technologies to help your dancers, your choreographers do the work they need to do. Well, uh, what has been a problem uh, that we've been trying to solve is the difference between feeling what you're doing and what it actually looks like. And so um, from my experience in film and television, uh, I, whenever I would see some of the takes that were done, I would go, oh, goodness gracious, I shouldn't do that again. And I began to refine many, many techniques uh, as a consequence. And so what it seemed that would be a good idea, and which we were given a grant for from yeah. ATAC to uh, explore, was to have a, a device with, which was very portable, like this tablet here, and iPad, 
and uh, be able to film the student in the moment and to be able to show them what they were doing. So seeing is believing kind of a situation. So um, first, uh, we would get permission from the student, may I film you? Second, it would then, uh, we would do it without any instruction. And then third, the student would look at it. And so the student would give their feedback of what they thought they were seeing Mm -hmm. and uh, try to solve the problem themselves. And then the additional interaction with the uh, teacher to go one step further and here are the reasons why. Then we also got a wonderful app uh, from um, Apple that was uh, your anatomy uh, Mm. that you can very quickly access on the iPad and you can actually show them the bone, the skeletal system, and the bones and the, the excuse me, uh, the muscles mm-hmm. uh, that are actually operating at that time. And it was extraordinary to see what that visual did for their thinking. Mm. The intricacy of the musculature was um, eye-opening to them. And uh, so they would engage those areas of musculature in a very different way. So this... We've just begun it, and it's getting some very good results. And uh, we hope to also um, work with sports medicine to uh, be able to deal with a repeated stress injury Mm -hmm. uh, and also uh, any type of uh, gait analysis that would help students reduce the the, uh, injury rate for us. Wow. And how have your students taken to it? Do they, is there sort of an aha mm-hmm. moment when they see There themselves? is. And another great feature with this is the fact that after you film them, you can actually send it to them, and they can observe it several mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a document for them that they can refer to and slowly work at embodying that correction yeah. and uh, training the muscles in such a way that they are tracking in the proper manner. Wow, wow. But that's, that's just a very basic teaching tool. Uh, what we can do with this in terms of our research, choreographic research, and our performance research uh, is, is extraordinary. Uh, in addition to uh, all of the gaming technology that is occurring. So this makes uh, creating a set that's fantastical so much more affordable. And for dance, because we tour quite a bit in concert yeah. dance, uh, it's a, an extraordinary jump for us in what we can, the environment that we can create, this virtual environment, if you will. Yeah, so, several so explain that a little more. So you may not be building sets and dragging them with you in a semi to some oh, location. It, in fact, that's, all, yeah. it, in, so many people are doing this wow. uh, uh, already. So we are also teaching the students to be able to uh, think in that manner. And the imaginative things they come up with in terms of the... Uh, set places, photographs, how they manipulate the photographs is extraordinarily artistic. Uh, In fact, I was just, uh, I noticed that David Hockney has a big exhibit over in San Francisco right now, and he does a lot of his new painting on an iPad. So it's a new age, and we are just sticking our toes in it now Mm -hmm. and very excited at what what will happen. Wow. Well, and I know a year or two ago, 
we did a project with ITS here on campus where there was joint choreography, a joint project being done with dancers in South America. Uh, do you recall uh, the, the project, which I thought was very cool because you were doing live real-time rehearsals through uh, a setup you had with ITS, and yet you were not only not in the same space, you were on another continent, but interacting with other choreographers and other dancers and then coming together at some point. Oh, well, that streaming capability is, is, has been extraordinary because mm -hmm. we've, we had a choreographer recently who was in uh, Germany and uh, we were working on one of her pieces and she was able to uh, log in and observe that's rehearsal, yeah. give notes. Mm -hmm. It's been quite extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just the small part of yeah. what's, what's being yeah. discovered that can be done. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me about UIDEA. Oh, sure. So uh, one of my courses, we cover event management. So if you were going to do a concert or a gallery opening or a one-day civic event. Uh, and so, again, in the traditional setting, I would go through the logistics, the budgeting, the scheduling, insurance policies, everything else. Uh, and then what we decided to do was, again, we teamed up uh, this time with CETA, uh, which is a student uh, group that you can bring them into your class. and. Uh, they assist faculty in developing new innovative ways of teaching. Mm. Uh, and UIDEA is an online competition. So I have my class divide out into teams with the goal of creating a one-day event that would appeal to University of Iowa students. They work through all the logistics and planning. Then we move into marketing. They develop print advertising, online advertising, press releases. They develop their own commercial for their fictitious event. And then we move into social media usage and we have this competition, it runs for two weeks each year, in which each team is trying to gain enough votes from the general public. Uh, so again, kind of borrowing things from some on uh, television, reality TV competition shows. Uh, so call in and vote for your favorite. Well, they're going to visit our website. Uh, and so everyone thinks that their Facebook connection should be enough to win it. Uh, <laughs> but no, you, you might get a few friends, but can you get hundreds or thousands of votes off of this? Uh, and so they find better ways of connecting with their audience. Are they actually providing the audience with what the audience wants? And are mm -hmm. they making that strong connection? Uh, and so it really lets them experiment, do more experiments in the field, adjust their tactics as they go, uh, better understand what they think an audience might want versus what the audience truly is perceiving from what mm -hmm. they're being given. Uh, and it's a, a fun kind of competitive element to it. And it's, it's worked very well. We've run it now. Mm -hmm for three different years. One year we even went up against a, another class, uh, teamed up with a, a sports management instructor. And so again, we were all limited to one day, but who could get the most votes mm -hmm. for that? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we can look at the, sort of the back end of it and we'll analyze how, where the different votes were coming from that we'll, we'll be tracking how much in Iowa City, nationally, internationally. Last year we got onto three different continents in order to get votes into this competition. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think it allows the students to feel much more invested, much more engaged, but also for them to be able to start listening, uh, that not just what their perception is. And you know, with some of what George is discussing, that trying to move them from being a student to being a learner or a researcher on their own, that they shouldn't just rely on my grade to say that this was a good project, but were they able to get a large enough audience, an audience that would stay engaged? Mm -hmm. uh, and kind of moving them, to, can they make their adjustments on their own once they've looked at the research, once they've watched the video of themselves, what is their assessor? Can we train them to be better assessors so they're not relying on a single authority figure who won't be there once they graduate from school hmm. and, and how they can handle the criticism? Yeah, yeah. This, this is also 
Certainly. Yeah. One of the amazing things that I noted about anytime somebody points a camera at you, your energy changes immediately. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> what does that mean exactly? Um, in, in the studio class, technique class, uh, the minute I lift this and ask permission, suddenly uh, their energy rate jumps to 85% <laughs> or 90, you know, and then uh, it's just such an improved uh, demonstration after which, mm -hmm. and that always shocks me, and I say, you, you know how, do you feel how much more you just did? How, mm -hmm. how much more focus you gave, how much, how mindful you were about what you were doing? And, uh, and it's this little recording device <laughs> that really transforms them. And, and for me to ask them, invite them to remember that on a regular basis mm -hmm. and make it their physical practice at all times just makes the improvement happen so much mm -hmm. more thoroughly. Mm -hmm. Do you, uh, in the dance department, do you uh, deal with, your, with questions from your students about uh, the popularity of a certain kind of dance. Will I be able to get a crowd for this kind of dance? Are there courses within the dance department where you're looking at audience reaction, um, you're trying to um, bring an audience in in the way that David has just mentioned? Is there any of that within the dance department? Many of our students mm -hmm. go to David's classes, thankfully, uh -huh. to yeah. get their certificate yeah. to have this kind yeah. of expanded sense. Uh, but also, uh, that is not necessarily our primary concern mm -hmm. in the Department of Dance. Uh, there's a lot of exploration of gender and perception of uh, who you are as a performer, if you will, yeah. versus just someone, yeah. and what is performance. So many things are being explored uh, in addition to mm -hmm. what is the audience feeling. Mm -hmm. And actually, kind of to tie off of that, that um, sometimes the students come in, and, and as your question was, you know, what will be popular, what will the mm -hmm. audience want? Mm -hmm. But for us as artists, how we can better inform our audiences, culture those audiences. And so, uh, actually for that idea, one team thought they had the winning idea, they were gonna get a very popular band, they were gonna spend all of their budget on just bringing the band in, and surely that's what people would want. And actually the team that won that year, uh, they decided they were gonna do a photography exhibit that the students would be the photographers, that you would be posting, in this case on Facebook, images that meant, what University of Iowa meant to you, and what would be the most creative ways of re-seeing the community? Mm. Uh, of what angle would really have that? And because the students who were voting really had the idea of how they would be participating, that it was theirs as well, then it, it gained that popularity. It wasn't something that was, what's the best kind of lowest common denominator yeah. entertainment format, but what was something that was gonna matter in my life? And mm -hmm. that's how they engaged with the art. Mm -hmm. And also with an intriguing perspective on it. So as you, as you are taking the shot, you are inviting them to see something in a new way yeah. through your eyes. Yeah. And that, that, is, that creativity is extremely important in the arts, especially here at the University of Iowa. It's a great value of ours. Mm -hmm. Well, it does seem to me that um, you know, the way world, the world seems to work these days is through some sort of media, you know, um, whether it's cats on a on uh, you know a viral video, or um, a beautiful dance segment from Dance Gala, you know these things are shared widely, and um, I'm sure that all the students feel that we all want to look our best, we all want to do our best, we all want to be caught at our best, and I suspect there are even um, 
do the students feel empowered to say to you, for example, if you've shot them um, at a moment where they're already in the virtual set you're going to be using? And it's, it's kind of as close to the real deal as it can be. Um, if a student thinks, oh, could we do this? Are teachers open to that, or is there a point at which... Yeah. Very much so. Mm. Collaboration is one of the key things that we invite. Mm. Uh, is it, we find, as, as so many of us uh, in the arts that the young people have such great ideas, mm -hmm. but truly excellent ideas. Mm -hmm. And to invite them to really share that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it enriches the teachers and everyone. So yeah. there's your flipped classroom. Yeah. The yeah. teachers are learning. Yeah. And we're using the technology to have more time for the humanity. Right? We're mm -hmm. using it to maximize the time that we can interact with the students. Yeah. We're not moving them off. We're bringing them closer in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're much better at this than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes. no. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Gosh, so is, is there um, anything new on the horizon that you can share at this point? Is there anything uh, that you're working on that... I'm going to try one of these tiled classrooms that yeah. your other episodes have addressed. So I'm going to try it in the spring. Uh, and uh, I'm going to also use it for the assessment of what if we treated art as, as a lab course. And so how can we experiment within... Uh, and we're using some of the quick response systems. They're called clickers around campus. Oh, yeah. uh, so that as we're watching different pieces of art, we can see how, as students, how they're engaging with it at different points in the process uh, and just kind of breaking it down that way. I mean, I have no idea if we'll be successful, but I think it'll be a great experiment, and I yeah. think the students will hopefully buy into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we are exploring uh, motion capture. Mm -hmm. We are exploring working with robots. And no we kidding. are choreographing for robots. We have a very exciting class with computer science. Uh, we received also a grant for that and have uh, purchased four amazing robots. <laughs> and uh, the movements that they can do are extraordinary. But we see very fun uh, potential yeah. artistic uh, things that we can do sure. with that new entry into our world. They're How here to stay, that? those robots. They are, I'm sure. <laughs> Could you tell me something about what these robots look like? Oh, they're, they're about this tall, and they are, um, uh, they, it's not like they're R2-D2. No, they're, that was what I was wondering. They're a little more wondering. sophisticated yeah. than yeah. that. They're like a little person. It looks like a little person. No kidding. They're extraordinary. They're really extraordinary. We're very excited to be oh. um, introducing this as uh, in our concerts. That is so fun. So, so in the end, you would have your live dancers interacting Absolutely. with these choreographed so robots. So you have the, yes, the human and the robot. That's uh, good. In addition to that, we also are, you know, the, the whole virtual environment thing is, we're just starting on mm -hmm. that, and uh, we, there are great, great possibilities with that. There are a lot of effects that we can produce with a, a technology called Isadora, um, and um, it's transforming how we are able to um, invite the audience to a new world. Well, how fun. This is great. Really good to talk to both of you guys, George Delpena from Dance and David McGraw from Theater Arts. And so nice to have you here. I really appreciate it so much. And this has been the fourth part of a four-part series on teaching innovation. Uh, I'm so grateful to all of our guests who were with us for these four programs in the series. Um, all of the World Canvas programs can be seen on UITV, on YouTube, iTunes, KRUI, and the International Programs website, international.uiowa.edu. We thank you for watching, and please join us for the next World Canvas, where we'll be discussing cultural memory and commemoration. 
for UI International Programs. I'm Joan Kerr. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.